Resurrection Sunday. It's what we're all about. It's what we live for. Amen. So good to see you all this morning here in the house of God. You know, this morning, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming. I want to thank you for saying, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising again on the third day. You know, we had uh, great shows on Friday and Good Friday. For those who didn't know, we had shows all day. And I want to thank you for the volunteers who came and served. You served so well. We're so grateful. This place was filled to the back, chairs right to the wall. In fact, in the, in the second session, I had to go in the foyer because I couldn't fit in the room. Um, so good. But, you know, Rachel came to us sometime and said, you know, Pastor Mark, can we, can I put a show together? Can we put our own Emerge show together? And Mark goes, are you sure? <laughs> you right, you really, you know what you're committing to. And you know, Rachel with a team put on a fantastic own songs. Mitch wrote a song, different songs were written in, in-house. And so Rachel, we honor you, we thank you. You know, the great, the great part of it is that not only this house was filled several times, but we had many people respond to the message of Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. We don't do it to tickle your ears and have a nice Good Friday, but we do it so then people hear the message of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning I have a bit of sad news is uh, for those who remember or knew Dominic, Dominic Amos is promoted to glory. I used to call him my little evangelist. He used to always sit behind us and he would be, if you've ever been to Strathpine Shopping Centre and you found a tract, a message tract, that was Dominic. He would put them in the toilets. He would put them everywhere. And the wonderful, great thing is Marilyn was telling us that just, you know, before he passed away, he actually led his nurse to the Lord. And so you go, good on you, Dominic. Even in your last breath, you're thinking about the kingdom of God and people. So please do pray for Marilyn. It's, it's really hard for her. Um, been married for many years. And uh, so keep Marilyn in your prayers. The funeral will be on Tuesday the 18th. Details will, will follow with times and that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Lord, and right now, as we commit this next short time of of looking into your word, oh, Father, I pray that faith would rise. I pray that you would continue to do the resurrection power in people's lives, bring encouragement, bring hope. Father, that those who in this place who you are yet, to know you personally, I pray that you will bring conviction on their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's next? What's next? You know, all of us at some time in our life has asked the question, what's next? When an unexpected event happens, we ask ourselves, What's next? For Marilyn, she's asking herself, what's next? What's my life going to be like without Dominic? I'm sure there's been a time in your life an unexpected thing has happened. A diagnosis of a disease strikes. You ask, what's next? Am I going to be killed? Am I going to die? 
What's next? When a marriage, when you, you stood at an altar with your loved one and you just said, you know, forever after, in sickness and in health, to live that life forever together and then the marriage falls apart. You ask yourself, what's next? If someone who we love dies, who's close to us, like Marilyn, like I said, what's next? How is life gonna look? How am I gonna go on without that person? You know, when my brother and my sister-in-law, his wife, in the same week, diagnosed with cancer, they were asking, what's next? Thank God they serve a living God. They were going, God, you're in control of everything in our life. I asked the question, what's next? What's gonna happen to them? I was honest. 2,000 years ago, there was a catastrophic event just outside the walls of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ, many believed as the Messiah, the Saviour of the world, was executed, crucified on a cross. Many would have thought, this is not what I thought would be next. This is not what I thought would be played out. And the disciples are actually behind locked doors. They were asking themselves, what's next? What's next for us? They're hiding because of fear of they're gonna get arrested as well. Even the enemies of Jesus were asking what's next because they had extra soldiers on the garden tomb, guarding the, the tomb. And, that, and all of a sudden, Jesus is not home. They're going, what's next for us? But 2,000 years later, I can answer that question for you as I stand here before you. We can answer that question because we've read the Bible. We've read the book. We've read the end. You know what's next for Jerusalem? This is what was next for Jerusalem. That a few months later, a few months later, thousands of people will be flooding the streets of Jerusalem saying how they knew Jesus. Thousands of people were coming to know him as their personal saviour. You know, what's next for the Roman Empire? Well, we know because we read the book, Saul of Tarsus would be knocked off his horse and have a God encounter and go forth and spread the good news throughout centuries. And by the fourth century, Christianity will become the official religion of the Roman Empire. That's what's next. I can continue to tell you that what came next was thousands of years later, a couple of thousands years to follow, there would be over two billion people claiming that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Saviour. In this world today, that is the stats. Come on, that is pretty good. That's what's Next, many people over the world today in the right time zone will be just like you, worshipping Jesus, thanking Him for the resurrection power of Jesus. What's next for the disciples? You could imagine, walked with Him, 
saw miracles, talked to them. They, he brought great encouragement to them. They are in the upper room for their final meal with Jesus, just before Jesus is taken away. In a few hours, Jesus would be arrested and go through a mock trial, and they will, be sent, they will sentence him to death, and he will die. Jesus knew what was next, but the disciples didn't know what was next. Jesus always knew what was next. And even today in your life, I don't know what you face, but Jesus knows what's next for you. Jesus always knows what's next. He knew Judas would betray him. He knew Peter would deny him. He knew the disciples would run away and be confused and hide. He knew Thomas would, would doubt him. He knew all of that. But he knew for the disciples there would come a living hope, a living, long-lasting joy and a lingering hope. Peace. He knew what was next for them. These are the three personal benefits of the resurrection, and they are ours today. You know, let's read from John chapter 16, and Jesus is here sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper at the table as they're reclining with him. John 16, 16 to 18. In a little while, this is Jesus speaking, in a little while you will not see me, but then in a little while you will see me again. Some of his followers said to each other, what is actually is he trying to tell us? When he says, in a little while you will not see me, and in a little while you will see me again. And because I go to my father, so they said, what is he trying to tell us by saying in a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. In a little while, you will not see me. Then you will see me. Talk about confusion. What does actually mean by all that? In a, just a few minutes before this conversation, earlier in the book of John, in the same place, in the same time, Jesus says this in John 14, 1 to 4. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. You have put your trust in God. Put your trust in me also. There are many rooms in my Father's house. If it, would not, it, it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going away to make a place for you. And after I go and make a place for you, I will come back and take you with me. Then you may be, may be where I am. You know where I am going and you know how to get there. After he said this, one of the disciples, Thomas, the doubting one, says, we have no idea what you're talking about, Jesus. You say you're in a little while, you're here, and then you're gone. What are you actually talking about? I love the honesty of the disciples because it makes me feel like I can be honest with Jesus. I don't know what's going on in this situation. This wasn't part of the plan. Surely this wasn't part of the plan. We can be honest with Jesus. We can ask him, what is going on? What does this mean? What, do I, what am I meant to do? He gives me hope seeing these disciples didn't always get it. And they were with him for three years. Jesus' conversation of him saying, I'm going, staying, little while, gone, details, 
no details, don't understand the details. Jesus was talking about his up and coming death and his resurrection. Pretty soon, you are not going to see me. That's death. Then you are going to see me again. That's resurrection. That's resurrection. So he's basically trying to tell them, your hope will be taken away, but then it'll come back again. That's pretty encouraging. Dash their hopes and then put it upon them again. So number one, they are going to have a living hope. Their hopes died when their saviour died. They're hiding. The hopes were raised back to life when Jesus was resurrected again. This is what Peter refers to in his letter. First Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does Peter mean by living hope? How does that affect us today? Before these disciples met Jesus, they're fishermen. They're just fishing day in, day out, day in, day out. The only difference is how many fish they catch on each day. Now, anything that you do repetitive can get quite boring. So you're going, no, not fishing. If I was fishing every day, I would not be bored. It's better being at work. Well, after a while, anything gets repetitive is a bit boring. So we see that Jesus comes and he calls them. He calls them out and he says that he is gonna make them fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He stepped into their lives and everything changed. I know when I gave my life to Jesus, everything changed. Where I was a fearful, insecure girl, I had a comforter. I had the Holy Spirit. I had a peace. I had a joy. I can't explain it to you, but I'm sure there's many of these stories in this room today. Suddenly, hope filled their lives. But then, one day, something happened. The man that they had hoped in dies and he is crucified. On that day, their hopes were taken. On that day, their hopes died. After Jesus was crucified, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. But his disciples didn't know that yet because they were hiding. They were fearful that they were going to be arrested. They were like hiding for a while. But then one day they're walking together. And as they're walking to the town of Emmaus, as they are walking, Jesus comes up to them. Hey, guys, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Why are you so sad? They said, well, we are talking about our Jesus and we had hoped in him, but he died. He's gone. Their hope was gone. 
But when Jesus showed himself alive to Peter, James and John, their hopes were reignited. I could imagine they were freaked out going, what? You're supposed to be dead. And you're walking with us. You are. I'm sure that's where the two-step Pentecostal dance started. I'm sure it was from then. Peter, as he puts it, a living hope. Because all the promises that Jesus had ever made came true. Anything is possible if the one who said it, who has said it, is going to die and rise again. Death does not have the final say. Resurrection has the final say. So they have a living hope. Number two, they have a lifelong joy. John 16, 19 to 22, as we continue to read, Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I mean? I love that. I said in a little while, you will not see me, but in a little while after that, you will see me again. So I tell you the truth, you will weep, you will mourn over what's going to happen, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly be turned to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor, all the women said. Now you're trying to forget that, aren't you? That's okay, so have I. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. How good is that? When Jesus died on the cross, that was the disciples' saddest day. Their lives were shattered. They thought they would never see him again. Even though he said it, they forgot. Short-term memory loss. That's where that started. When Jesus was in the tomb, there was no joy, no singing. Three, there was only tears and sadness and mourning, just as Jesus predicted it. But Jesus knew what was next. He knew their joy would be reignited. He says when Jesus showed up in the upper room after he rose, he says the disciples were glad when they saw their Lord. That is what Jesus is saying is next. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. The moment the women who left the tomb it says that they went away in fear, but great joy. Why they were fearful, but they were joyful because they saw their Saviour again. Jesus goes on to say in that scripture, it's like having the baby that is so painful. And man, you never want to experience that. You just thank God right now. Thank God right now that you don't have to go through that. Apparently the closest to that is kidney stones. So don't eat orange juice, cheese, or peanut paste, because Mark says that's what gives you kidney stones. 
It's true, I was, I was nine months in labour and I had to take Mark to the doctor, to the hospital, because he was having kidney stones. And they look at, and they, if you've got kidney stones, you, you, you say you've got urine or whatever it is, and they rush you in. I'm sitting next to his bed and they're going, which one I'm seeing? <laughs> yeah, hopefully in a few days. But see him, he, he doesn't understand what pain is. <laughs> So we see, yeah, something happened to my computer. Don't you love technology at the same time you hate it? There you go. Jesus says your sorrow will be turned to joy. We all would have seasons in our lives. And some of you today, you perhaps in that season, where it's sorrowful, it's sad, it's brokenness, it's dark. Sometimes you don't even want to get out of bed because it's that hard. But God always, his promise will turn that season. If you stick with Jesus, you walk with him, you draw from him, will turn it into joy. There is a risen saviour, Jesus, who's here to help you to turn your sadness into joy. He can take the sorrow, he can take the pain and turn it into joy. What You say, how do I know that? Because I've had seasons where really I wanted to die. Yeah, I was a Christian too, but I just thought heaven's much better than this. But in that season, as I walked close to the Holy Spirit, I said, Holy Spirit today, just help me today. Take on the garment of praise and I choose to joy, I choose to rejoice. Long life, life, long, long joy. Joy is an inward condition of a person whose eyes are fixed on God. It's a byproduct of a relationship with God. And that's where the joy comes from. That's where true inward joy comes from. Billy Sunday, an evangelist of many years ago, said, if you have no joy, there's a leak somewhere in your Christianity. I love what Paul says. While he's in jail, about to face death, he's on death row. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Call him a madman if you want, but he went through jail, leading people to the Lord and rejoicing in his Saviour. So number one, he promises a living hope. Number two, he promises lifelong joy. And number three, he promises lingering peace. That's what's next for the disciples. And that is what's next for you and for me. When you come into a relationship with Jesus, I'm not saying it's all rosy, but in the tough times, there is an underlying peace that comes. Towards the end of that chapter of 16, John 16, 31 to 33, let's see what Jesus says. Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when you'll be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. 
Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Smile, everyone. Take heart right now. I want to see pearly teeth, even if they're fake. I don't care. Smile today because we have a lingering peace. We serve a God who turns the negatives into positives. What things was he talking about? The things that he just told them. He just told them they were going to be hopeless when he was gone. He told them that they were going to be sorrowful when he was gone. He told them that they were going to run away after he dies. How could these Things bring peace and to anybody. You're going to be sad. You're going to run away. But I just told you that because I want you to have peace. Like me, you can think of how can that sort of problem or situation or feeling bring peace. Well, this is how. It shows them that he is in control. You know, when Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit, it wasn't taken away from him. Jesus was in full control. He gave up his spirit. Not the soldiers, not the cross. He willingly gave it up for you and for me. It shows them that he knows what's next, even though they don't know what's next. He never says, oh, no, this wasn't part of the plan. He doesn't ever, he, you never hear God say, oops, oh, I didn't know why that happened. Never, you'll never hear that. He is in control. Everything is under his control. Jesus knows what's next. And he's always tr trying to prepare us for what's next. One translation says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Cheer up, boys. It's going to be okay. That's when thumbs up were introduced. So what's next for the followers of Jesus? Pain is next. Sorrow is next. Confusion is next. But also hope is next. Joy is next. Peace is next. All because of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come on. Let's thank him this morning. We thank you for your resurrection power. And because of that, we can have a living hope. We can have lifelong joy. We can have lingering peace, all because of the resurrection. We follow a living God. A story is told of an African Muslim who became a Christian. His friends asked him, why have you become a Christian? He answered, well, it's like this. Suppose you're going down the road and suddenly the road forks into two directions, two different directions. You didn't know which way to go, whether to go to the left or to, right, to the right. And there at the fork were two men, one dead, one alive. Who would you ask for directions to? We serve a risen a God who is alive. In 1936, an interesting, hap an interesting happened in New York City. 
there was a broadcast of the King of England to the United States of America. This is a big deal for the Americans. All going all the way from London, telecast through to the New York studios, telecasting across the United States. It was gonna be, the broadcast was gonna be on WJZ in New York City. It was King Edward VIII. It was his big speech to the United States. He had a message prepared and he was going to speak words to the people of the United States. But something happened right before the broadcast. Someone in the New York studio tripped over one of the little wires, a very significant wire, even though it was a low voltage wire, and severed the link between England and America. Now, you know, America likes to look good. So this was a big deal. People in the studio were going crazy in panic mode. The engineers didn't know what to do. They're all trying to work out what to do. Oh, oh no, the voice will not be heard. Oh no, we can't look bad. The speech is not gonna go through. But a very quick thinking, clever, young apprentice engineer, just seconds before the telecast of King Edward VIII was to speak, he grabbed the two wires, the severed wires, and he grabbed them and he joined them together and he held on to them and he became the bridge from England through to his body to the United States of America. It worked. He bridged it so the telecast could go through his body. The human signal was transmitted. The speech was heard. That's what Jesus did for us. 2,000 years ago, he was son of God, the link between heaven and earth, the bridge was no longer void. He became the sacrifice between man and God, no longer severed. And today we stand, we sit here, we worship today, a risen King, the Saviour of the world, who gave up his divinity to come and live as a man on earth, to show us how to live, to, to show us the way, to, sh to tell us that we can have a hope, a joy, a peace, but more than anything, we can have eternal life by one simple thing, is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing your need of him and receiving him into your life. Musicians, come right now, please. That promise Jesus made to the disciples is not just for the disciples. That promise is for you and for me. A living hope, a long-lasting joy, a lingering peace. Why? It's a resurrection Sunday. Because Jesus has come to bring life and life to the full. 
It's a package deal. Through receiving Jesus Christ, as many in this room have, we live out. We have that package deal. We have free access to the throne of God. We can come without needing to bring sacrifices, but we can come into God's presence anytime and talk to Him, just as we would talk to our friends, a spouse, and lay our burdens at His feet. Have times where we just worship Him and thank Him. Have that peace. Have that joy. Have that hope. But it's only one way. It's only through the Son of Jesus Christ. The world will give you peace. But soon enough, someone will let you down. That peace will be broken. Cord will be broken. That transmission will be broken. That pain will come. But Jesus says, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And today with every head out and every eye go, eyes closed just as a respect to one another. I cannot close this meeting without you giving you an opportunity to know the one who died for you, more importantly, the one who rose from the dead for you. So through him, you can have eternal life. What does that mean? It means that the day when you pass, when you go, face an eternity. You do not go to an eternity without God, but you go to eternity with God. That you can live on this life never alone, but with the help of God always with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. As He says, He's our comforter continually with us. 